on this week's show. With Matt getting ready to sun himself in Qatar, I've got a special guest host with me. There's still an ongoing joke now that, that Margate can't find anyone to do their match day microphone, so I still do that as well, even though I cannot see the ball. We hear from Margate manager Andy Drury about his start to life at Hartsdown Park. I hope people can see what I'm trying to build as a club, I'm not just here for, for six months, for, for, for a year and trying to kick on somewhere else. I'm, I'm trying to build something at a football club for, for a number of years. And ahead of the new documentary Gate Money, we hear from filmmaker Fred Atkins about what prompted him to do the film about the National League cash crisis. And to be honest, no one wanted to defend it. Uh, we did try and get in touch with about a dozen officials and executives um, from the National League. Absolutely none of them would talk to us. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Kent Only Podcast, sponsored by Nick Cunning of Plumbing and Heating. We've just got a couple of interviews for you this week, but they're both good and hopefully you will enjoy them. Uh, I'm John Phipps, I spent the last knockings of Tuesday night and the early hours of Wednesday morning on a magical mystery tour of the Dorset and Hampshire areas. And on the line now is not my usual co-host Matt Gerrard, who is in the final stage of packing for Qatar and is far too busy to speak to me this week. So in his absence for the next couple of weeks, I'm inviting a couple of guest hosts on. And first out of the traps is a man who, seven or eight years ago, used to make me roar with laughter frequently, not least with his Terry Brown impression or the day he got a speeding ticket. Uh, Ryan Day, thank you for joining us. And how are you? Morning, John. How are you? Yeah, um, absolutely buzzing to, to be doing this with you. And uh, yeah, the uh, the memories of seven or eight years ago uh, live live long forever, don't they? So I remember one day I phoned up and said, you got any news for me? And he went, yeah, I've just boshed a couple of sandwiches down at the, uh, at the canteen. <laughs> I was like, yeah, brilliant, thanks for that. That's not really why I'm calling you. Um, but anyway, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for doing this for us. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah, so uh, like you say, I'm, I'm Ryan Day. Um, obviously, used to be media manager at Margate uh, back in your in your journalism days at the Thanet Gazette. So we, we, we struck up a very good relationship then. Um, I'll give you some of the breaking news, like you say, about me eating sandwiches and, and not much else. Um, in, in the meantime, um, obviously, unfortunately, I sort of lost lost some eyesight, um, which restricted me in terms of football reporting. Um, but luckily enough, last, sort of, sorry, this summer, May, or just slightly before May, I, I spoke to Margate Football Club and they asked me to come back as a director of communications, which was a really... Um, big honour for me and something I really look forward to doing and, and I've enjoyed it since I started um, and that's more of just sort of seeing overseeing the media now rather than, than actually being involved day to day which is a, li- a little bit better with me obviously uh, for me regarding my, my health situation so um, and obviously Ryan you're allowed to make the joke about overseeing things with your uh, with your eye condition <laughs> mate I make more blind and uh, sight impaired jokes I think than anyone and I think some people find them awkward but uh, no um Absolutely. So yeah, just yeah. There's still an ongoing joke now that that Margate can't find anyone to do their match day microphone. So I still do that as well, even though I cannot see the ball. Um, but luckily, I have the club secretary Alan Anstis to uh, to be my eyes on a match day at home. So yeah, we we get by and uh, we absolutely love it. So and uh, yeah, that's me really. And obviously, uh, Alan, uh, Alan's son, Gareth, is a much more aggressive uh, announcer, as people may remember from the day. And also, quickly, Ryan, just tell us about the work that you do uh, with the RNIB as well. Uh, yeah, so like you say, Gareth is very, uh, very, very aggressive on the microphone. So we'll give him a shout out as well. I'll have to correct you, though. It's not the RNIB. It's the KAB, um, which is a Kent-based uh, charity. Obviously, the RNIB work uh, nationally. 
Um, the KAB is is supporting sight impairment across Kent. So I've recently become an ambassador for them as well. Um, getting out there, just just sort of telling my story and hopefully inspiring other people to 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 not give up when they when they suffer sight impairment. And I think obviously I was twenty eight when that happened to me. Um, so for 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 the for the KAB, it's it's uh, in a way good to have someone that's younger and you know can relate to the younger people and. And that's what I try and do, just get the story out there, try and get the word out there, what they do, and 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 just, just sort of prove a point, really, that when you lose your sight or, or the majority of it, you don't have to stop doing everything and just sit in a dark room and, and you know, waste your life away. There's still plenty more you can do. So um, that's the aim, and that's what I do, and, and, and I enjoy doing it. So, so just just finally on this, um, how, how impaired is your, is your vision, and, and how does it impact you on a day-to-day life? Yeah, so um, left eye now is completely is completely gone. So I have no sight in the left eye, and in the right eye, I have sort of thirty percent vision. So, um, you know, there's there's still some in the right eye which you can sort of still see certain things, and 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 a lot of people don't understand, and it's why I always try and get the message out there. When you say you're sight impaired, people naturally think you can see nothing, and and that's my biggest frustration because it all depends on the weather, it all depends on the lighting all depends on so many different circumstances. So if I'm walking down a road, I may see someone walk towards me, but I won't necessarily know if their face I recognise or whatever. Um, a lot of people will say morning or hello, and I think, do I know them? I, you know, can't see facial recognition, really. Um, and in terms of day-to-day life, I, d- I don't let it stop me. I have a white cane um, that I walk around with uh, when I'm on my own and sort of crossing roads, etc. Um, but even that, you know, if I go to if I go to the football ground, I, I don't need my white cane because, in all them years of tearing round on the on the phone to you, giving you the breaking news, I could probably, you know, walk around that walk around Hartstown Park with my eyes shut because I've been there so much. And you know, it's about familiarity for me. And and like I say, um, I have some vision, not a lot, but what I do have, I, I appreciate, and you know, still helps me get by. Just finally on this now, this is this is a completely inappropriate question to ask, Ryan. So I, I, no, I, I, but I know I can questions. ask you this. So um, as has been discussed on this show, I have a quote, new bird. Um, and <laughs> we had a bit of a chat the other week because um, she's actually allergic to dogs. Now, we were wondering if someone went completely blind and needed a guide dog, but they were allergic to dogs, what would happen? Pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, 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 I... I mean, the best question ever. <laughs> it is one of the best questions I've ever been asked, and I've never been asked it in my life. I would imagine that there would um, focus more on the white cane training rather than than actually having a guide. You don't have to have a guide dog. I I was in I was in contention to have a, a guide dog, and it was actually something I didn't want to do at the time because um, you know it's a it's a big commitment, and uh, you have to you know not just look after the, the dog has to work um which means you know going out regularly for walks and if some days you don't feel like that you still have to do it so um i chose for the white cane and and that's always a that's always an option so i would imagine they would uh they would err towards a white cane rather than trying to force them to have a dog that makes them sneeze every two seconds perfect thank you ryan and uh 
great to hear your story. Uh, it's our 234th episode this week, and as well as being a song, well, actually, plus 234 uh, is the full title by Who Is Aiken, uh, which is a largely inoffensive Afro Beach track. Uh, 234 is a practical number, whatever that means, and the area code for Nigeria. So if you ever get a call from a prince and the number's got plus 234 at the start, you know it's dodgy. Uh, but it's actually a momentous number because when we started doing this silly number feature at the start of the podcast, I said we'd stop it when we got to the highest house number I've ever lived at. And today is that day. Uh, for eight months in 2005 and 2006, I lived at 234 Barnsley Street in Hull. Uh, not the most salubrious address I've ever had, but it did the job at the time. I also probably with a hilarious anecdote. Uh, as I had some post one day that had been put through the wrong door by the postman. I got in from work and it had been shoved through my letterbox with an angry note written all over the envelope ordering me not to have my post sent to someone else's house. Obviously, hadn't been sent to their house. Otherwise, how the hell would they have known where to put it? Idiots. Uh, Ryan, what's the highest house number you've ever lived at? 165. The show would have ended a long time ago. (laughs) Absolutely. I think we're going to carry on with the number feature, though, because I do like it. It's quite educational. Uh, Anyway, let's get on with the main show. We're going to start with Ryan's beloved Margate. He hasn't come empty-handed. Oh, no. And yesterday... Ryan spoke to gate manager Andy Drury about his start to life at Hartsdown Park. So it's been hard work. It's been it's been slightly up and down. Um, we only kept four or five from from last season, so we had to build a whole new squad. We've got a lot of young players, and and a few of them are still learning learning the level. And, and yeah, like I say, it's been it's been a little bit up and down. We've had good results, and we've had some bad results, and and we've picked up lately, and, and we're, we're mid table and. I'm doing okay in two of the cups as we speak. So um, as we speak, we're, we're in a, we're in a good place. We've won three in a row, um, and yeah, I'm quite happy with how things are progressing. And you talk about the turnover of players in the summer. Just how difficult is that to embed new players into into a club, especially when you're a new manager yourself? Yeah, it um, it takes time, as you notice in this league at the start of the season. It, the teams that have been together for a few years have been up near the top and then the newer teams that have been put together have have started a little bit slower than them. But there's teams like us and, and we're, we're, we're slowly building and we've got a really good spirit now amongst the lads and we're, we're still hoping to add one or two to, to help us attacking-wise, which I think really help us kick on over the next month or so over Christmas. Um, so it, it it takes time when you're building a new squad. It doesn't happen overnight. Boys have got to get used to each other and used to playing with each other, and what runs they make, what's their strength, what's their weaknesses, and, and they've got to get on and bond and really want to work for each other, which they're doing now. And looking back to when you took the job back in May last year, obviously you ended last season with Whitstable. Um, how much did that experience as your first time as a manager sort of make you want to push on and go higher? Starting here at Margate. Yeah, uh, I've I've been preparing to be a manager for for quite a few years. Really, I've been out scouting games off my own accord, and and seeing what's around at these levels, the league below. Obviously, playing a little bit higher as well. So, knowing that, I was, I made sure over a number of years that I knew the level, I knew what teams were doing what, and what players were, were on my list. So when it comes to it, I I was prepared, and I knew a few that I wanted to sign. Some obviously had didn't come, didn't work out, and. And some have, um, but yeah, the the seven seven games at Whitsport it it definitely helped me. Obviously, we got relegated in the end, but um, I think we closed the gap by quite a few points from from when I went there. So um, 
when I went in there the, at Whitstable, it was kind of just to give give the club a little bit of hope to stay up. And we went and won we won a few games when we went in there, and unfortunately lost the last couple when we had a lot of injuries and we had a couple of suspensions. So um, it hurt as well going down. So um, it it was nice to get this job as well on the back of that. In terms of current form, you said there three wins in a row. Um, playing Sheppey United in the Kent Senior Cup um, this week as well. So what would four wins in a row mean for confidence and for your own sort of self-belief in what you're trying to achieve in? Um, yeah, I'd like to think the people that are coming come to the games and they, they can see what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build a, a young team and we've got a few experienced players that are of good quality and I'd like to think most of the fans that have come along have would agree with us when we've lost games against the better teams, your Hornchurch and Enfield that are up near the top, we've actually been the better team. Um, it's just a little bit of that know-how of, of managing games and that comes with experience that we've probably lacked at times, which is fine and I can live with that because the, boy, the boys are learning and and if we can stay together for a longer period then you know, you'd be looking at this time next year or in two years' time and, and we'll be the ones up, the, up near the top of the league and and not mid tableish but um but three wins three wins in a row is good good for the spirit good for the good for the players to get that winning mentality and, and especially at the moment where we're <clears throat> we're a little bit low on numbers we've got five five out at the moment for injury so um everyone's playing their part and, and, and it'd be good to get four in a row in terms of the club itself obviously the new changing rooms are on their way and um the club's certainly building around the pitch as, as well as on it is that something to be excited about as well as as the manager yeah for sure it's good that the club are not only doing it off on the pitch they're trying to do it off the pitch so I hope people can see what I'm trying to build as a club I'm not just here for for six months for, for, for a year and try and kick on somewhere else I'm, I'm trying to build something at a football club for, for a number of years um, and, and it's good the club's doing it outside of the pitch as well because a lot of clubs just concentrate on what's on the pitch throw throw a little bit more money on the pitch and no money for anything else and then in, in two years time then the money's gone and they haven't got anything anything to show for it so it's good the owner's got a long term vision of where he wants the club to go and, and it matches my ambition over a longer period as well and to talk about yourself just for a moment obviously you've played in the football league um, Ipswich Town Stevenage um, you know clubs of that stature um, you ended your playing career in non-league football but how different is it from playing football to, to managing a squad now uh, yeah it's a lot more busy yeah, a lot busier sorry um, as a footballer you just concentrate on yourself concentrate on making sure you're in the best place that you possibly can to perform in every single game but when you're a manager you're managing 20 to 25 maybe 30 people in and around the club, not just the players, you're managing your own staff and you're speaking to the board and you're speaking to the secretary most days. Um, even like people like the facilities manager if you need if you need the odd things. So um it, it's just it's managing a well, you're managing a whole football club basically. Um and it, it's time consuming but I, I'm really enjoying it. Um you have you have the low points and and you get a bit down sometimes and and then you enjoy the high parts, but um, yeah, it's it's a lot different than than playing. But I'm really enjoying it. And you've played under the likes of Mick McCarthy and John Steele, them sort of managers. 
what have they sort of taught you and have you taken anything from their sort of managerial style that you've sort of installed into your own yeah, um, style here at Margate? Played under some, some good managers, like, like say Mick McCarthy, Paul Jewell, John Gregory. And, and you do, you, 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 you remember what they've done and how they treated players and how they treated you. And I remember Mick McCarthy once just, I think towards my end of my spell at Ipswich, and I was playing and then another player come back from injury and he just pulled me in and said, um, I'm going to play the other player just because, to be quite honest with you, I, th- I think he's better than you. Which at the time, it um, no, for an hour or so, I was, I went out to train him and kicked about ten people. But <laughs> then on reflection on it, when I got home, it was, he's actually been honest to me, and it, it was down to me to try and prove him wrong that you know you're wrong there, like I'm better than him. So um, the honesty comes from obviously Mick McCarthy, and I try and do that to my players and. John Gregory was really good at motivation and telling players that they were really good when he'd tell me they're probably not as I was captain at the time for him. Um, but you, you take things from, from different people and then some of the bad ones where I won't name them but, um, but you see them and they don't really do a lot at all and one manager didn't take one session in about 18 months and barely watched training and we were kind of managing ourselves at the time and and it was kind of what you're actually doing we're, we're, we're doing it for you and you're kind of winning games and he's getting the credit and, and you kind of look at things like that and, and you don't want to be that kind of manager so it works both ways I've taken the good from from a lot of the good managers that I've played three, three Premier League managers and then um, and then obviously some of the some of the other ones that that I take and kind of see how not to do it. And you've touched on it briefly a, a little bit earlier, Andy. But just to to wrap up, what's the what is the long term goal here for you at Margate? But sort of further down the line for you as a manager, where where do you want to go? Where do you see Margate going? And and, and yourself included in that? Um, taking my own ambitions, I, I want to manage as high as I can, but I want to do it here. As well, it's it's got a really good board, a board of directors who have backed me since I come in, and were good enough to give me a chance at the football club. So first of all, I want I want to repay them, and their faith in me, and and the owner as well for, for giving me the chance, and and I want to match his his long term ambition of the club in in building around the building building around the pitch, and I, I want to build on the pitch with a I've got a young team now and got three or four experienced players that I'm like I say I'm hoping to add over over the next week or so just to help us one or two come in just to add a little bit more. But um over the longer term my ambition is to get this club into the conference south or the national national south and and, and compete in that league. Um that that's what I wanna do over over the next two, three years. Um it's gonna to be tough and some people might doubt that I can do it but Anyone who's ever doubted me, I've I've proved wrong. People said I'd never play in the championship because I, I probably wasn't the quickest player in the world. But I adapted my game and worked hard enough to to do it. And that's what I'm going to try and prove as a manager to the people that say that I can't do it. I'll go and prove them wrong. And it'd be be my ambition to get this club in the Conference South over the next two to three years. And and then hopefully, you know, stabilise us there. And and you never know. You never know what happens in in football if we if we kept hold of the younger ones and 
they stepped up another level and 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 they might be able to get a squad together at that level. But um, over the next two, three years, it's, it's definitely just to try and get us into the next league. Oh, lovely stuff that, Ryan. Uh, four wins out of four after a young Sheffield United side beaten on Tuesday night in the Kent Senior Cup. A uh, really good run at the moment for Gate. And, and it's nice, actually, to hear a manager who's in it for the long haul. Is everybody pleased with the work Andy Drury's doing so far? It's football. It's football, John. So not everybody's pleased. Um, in terms of the club, yes, of course. Um, you know, Andy, Andy's come in and, 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 and made an impact. It was a difficult summer for the club, obviously, with the former manager leaving to go to Tunbridge Angels. But... Uh, you know, I've got the sense that every manager in Kent left their job over the summer. So it wasn't just us that had a, a rebuilding job to do. Um, and he's a young manager. He's very impressionable. Uh, you know, I really get on well with him. Um, you know, I know that some of the fans, you know, were, were slightly disappointed with the inexperience that we appointed in the summer. But but by and large, I think people are buying into it. Like you say, four wins in a row now. We're... we're we're in good form and, you know, this, this Ishmael Premier League, as you, you've highlighted on this show, is a crazy league and, you know, everyone beats everyone and, um, you know, you can set your targets at the start of the season and we've done that at Margate, but but by no means you, 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 can, you can change them. They're, they're not, you know, they're tangible. You can, you can move them as the season goes on, but to have four wins in a row and like we highlighted on our own media today and, and even last night, the club haven't won four competitive games in a row since March 2019, which, um, you know, I know we had the COVID break, but that's still a lot of matches played um, in between March 2019 and, 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 and as of yesterday. So um, that's a good achievement. Um, you know, in in terms of everyone being happy, no, not at, not at this club, not at any club, I don't think. But but by and large, people are, people are impressed and... Uh, you know, we just want to keep that run going in terms of in terms of winning in winning games. It was a, a big win at Wingate and Finch on Saturday, and I also know that uh, your loyal band of travelling supporters had quite the journey home as well, didn't they? They did bless them, and 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 look, I think they deserve the biggest shout out um, from the weekend. Really, I know. Um, obviously, it was helped with the two-one win right at the very end, and when I say right at the very end, I don't even know if we kicked off again after we scored. Um, and if we did, it was literally just to kick off. So, but yeah, the supporters bless them. They travel up and down in in the in the fun bus, as they call it. Um, I've been on it. I wouldn't necessarily call it fun, but but they enjoy themselves. And uh, you know, they 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 broke down on the way home. And and I think the majority of them got home at two thirty a.m. Um, and a couple more had to wait for the actual recovery of the vehicle they broke down in. So I think they got home a little bit later, at sort of four thirty a.m. So. Um, really tough, tough day for them in terms of getting home. Um, but the club, we as a club have have said we'll pay for their travel to Bishop Stortford in a couple of weeks. Um, it's the very least we can do for them. They they follow us everywhere that you know our supporters and um, you know massive shout out to them. They they deserve every bit of credit they get because because they're they're behind the team one hundred percent, one hundred percent of the time as well. So you could, you can't knock that in football. Um, I suppose it's frustrating that you haven't got a game this weekend because you're in such good form. Yeah, I, I think it's one of them double-edged swords for, for Andy. I spoke to him about that last night. The players will train tomorrow night, uh, sorry, Thursday night. Um, and then, you know, they've got a weekend off, which, like you say, is very rare. And when you're winning winning games back-to-back, you don't want to stop playing, of course. But it gives us a bit of a rest now going into a, you know, a, a big game for the club against folks in Invicta. Uh, next week in the Velocity Trophy. It's a competition we got to the final last year um, and we want to go one better. And 
and and to do that and beat one of your local rivals would be an, another big statement. So, like you say, you 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 want to keep playing, you want to keep winning games, but maybe that little break over the weekend may may do us a favour and uh, and the boys will be up for for a, a big game next Tuesday at Hartstown Park again. Just finally on Margate, we, as you know, both Matt and I have got a bit of affection for the club. You know, obviously I covered the club uh, extensively. Uh, back in the day, and and Matt living in Broadstairs, you know, we're, we're, oh, the amount of times we've talked about the club on the show, and and the phrase that keeps coming back to me is "full storms." It, it, how does the club move forward and, and make sure that there are no more full storms, and that the future is 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 bright and and goes as everybody wants it to for Margate or Hartstown Park? I think the club has um, has stability now. I think something in the past that hasn't, you know, whatever way you look at it, and no matter what, you know, and even our own fans sometimes get a little bit disappointed by what you you call full storms. And um, but the fact of the matter is, is that our current owner has been in place for five years. He's bought the freehold of the ground. He's laid a three G pitch, which is used seven days a week by you know all the youth section, the first team, the ladies team. Um, we have the changing rooms imminent, and I know that there was some disappointment yesterday with the uh, delay in them, but that was completely out of control, you know, from the club's point of view. And um, there's a delay in the delivery of them. Um, and, and, and I think for me, and, and now being part of the board of directors as well, is that we don't, you know, we don't make any promises that we won't keep. And, and the one thing we've said is from the very start is we will put out a competitive team on the pitch. We will you know, aim to obviously be at the top end of the table. And over time, we will get the building work, you know, started. Uh, you know, it's been a long time coming, 25 years we've had to wait for this moment. And you've mentioned full storms. Um, but un under this current owner, there hasn't been any of them. He hasn't promised anything. He hasn't delivered. Um, and, and he sticks by it. He's committed. He loves the club, you know. He wants to see us push on. We have a responsibility as a board of directors to make sure that we have the best players we can get at Margate, the best you know facilities we can get at Margate. But these things take time, and 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 I think sometimes it's easy to forget that we're coming out the back of a of a pandemic, which killed a lot of businesses, could have killed a lot more football clubs, um, and it's a really really tough economical time at the moment and I think sometimes you can lose that in football because everyone thinks there's money in football everyone thinks there's loads of money generated and and, and that is the case at the very top level but when you're talking about the Ishmael Premier Division you know no one's throwing five million pound at us to have their name on the shirt no one's throwing you know a hundred million to have um, TV coverage of it so that you know that money has to be generated by the club itself and and largely given by the owner as a as a as a sort of gift and and you know margate we this 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 owner this current board of directors have made no promises that we haven't kept and and for me that's the best way to avoid as you say false storms because if you if you promise something and don't deliver then then that is exactly one of them and 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 i think you know we're, we're very realistic in what we want to achieve and and we'll um we'll, we'll keep just moving forward moving the club forward and we won't get everything right, John. You know, no one's ever got everything right in football because that is that is why we love the game. We'll make mistakes. We've probably already made some, you know, um, but we keep going and we uh, and we just want to keep pushing the club forward as, as best as we can. It's great to hear. Uh, a mixed week elsewhere in that division. Uh, Herne Bay beaten 4-1 at home by Canvey Island on Saturday where Cray Wanderers were drawing 0-0 at Lewis. Uh, Folkestone beat Brighton to Regent 
uh, on Saturday, but then were walloped 5-2 at home by Avery on Tuesday night. Uh, both Herne Bay and Cray Wanderers head to Horsham this week. Bay on Saturday, Wanderers on Tuesday, while Neil Smith's men host Wingate and Finchley on Saturday as well. Uh, let's have a look at the Eastman League South East, where Margate's fierce local rivals Ramsgate continue to lead the way as they beat Three Bridges 4-1. And the big game in the chasing pack ended with a narrow win for Chatham over Ashford, uh, with the nuts and bolts then needing an 89th-minute equaliser from Omar Lawson to preserve a point as they drew 2-2 with Beckham on Tuesday. Uh, elsewhere on Saturday, Cray Valley fought, fought back to draw 2 all with Littlehampton. Seven Oaks beaten 3-0 at East Grinstead. Sheffield United got their first home win of the season as they narrowly beat Corinthian 1-0. Beckham won 3-2 at Sittingbourne. Hyde went down 2-0 at Whitehawk. And VCD beat Faversham 5-0. Uh, the Lily Whites then followed that up with another 5-0 shoeing, this time at Cray Valley PM. Six league games in for Faversham's new boss, Simon Austin. Uh, we spoke to him on the show when he got the job. And I'm pretty sure that one win, five defeats and 23 goals conceded was not perhaps the start he was hoping for. A bit of a nightmare, that one, Ryan. Yeah, they've had a, they've had a tough start there, haven't they? And, and like you say, you, you know, you, you go in with a new manager and you want to bounce back from some recent results. And then you have results like that. And it's a, it's a difficult one. But look, I'm sure um, Faversham have made that appointment knowing that it's a long term goal and... Um, you know, they, they won't react hastily and, you know, it takes time. Like I said, um, you know, when you've got a new squad, new players, new manager, um, it does take time and, and, I, and I'm sure they'll, they'll they'll get it right eventually there. But, um, yeah, they'll be very disappointed sitting here uh, today with, with them, them run of results. And uh, I suppose the million-dollar question to a man on the board of Margate, do you want Ramsgate to come up? Yeah, I, I, look, I... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think having two clubs um with a with a rivalry like Margate and Ramsgate in the same league is good for it's good for both clubs, it's good for the division. Um it means a lot less travelling at some point of the season, probably Christmas and New Year. Um look, I, I, I I'm at Margate, but I, I have total respect for Ramsgate. I think what they're doing is fantastic. They have a real community drive, um their attendances are up, they're doing lots of good media work, they've got some very good players, they have a very good manager. Um, and 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 I would be surprised if they didn't come up. And that's not me putting sort of <laughs> mind games out there. I, you know, I think they would be disappointed that they didn't come up last year, and and they want to make sure they do this year. Um, and yeah, I think it would be great for for the area and and both clubs if if we were to face each other in a competitive fixture because it seems to have been a very long time since the last one. So yeah, by all means, like I say, they're doing some fantastic stuff over there, and uh, and and it's always it's always good to have. You know, clubs in a similar area doing well and, and and bouncing off each other and 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 creating a bit of a rivalry again, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, this weekend Ashford at home to Hayward Heath, uh, Beckham take on Whitehawk. It's VCD head to Burgess Hill, Cray Valley go to Chichester. It's Corinthian against East Grinstead. Faversham take on Sheppey United. Hyde meet Lansing at two o'clock kick off that one. Littlehampton is the destination for the leaders. Ramsgate seven oaks against Sittingbourne and Chatham head to Three Bridges. And then on Tuesday night. Uh, it's just a couple of games. Littlehampton against Beckenham and Sheffield United at home to Burgess Hill. Uh, let's move on to the FA Vars then, uh, where it was, I thought it was going to be a really bad weekend, but it actually ended up OK as Stansfield scored a late couple of goals in their game as they beat Crowborough by two goals to one. Uh, the big game in the in the all-scaffold ties ended with a 4-2 win uh, for Deal Town at Phoenix Sports. The other big game between those two, between two scaffold sides ended with a bit of a shock result, actually. Larkfield and New Hive. Two new winners over Tunbridge Wells. Uh, Erith Town also made it through. A 1-0 win for them over Guildford City. But the rest of them didn't go so well. Athletic Newham 4, Kennington nil. Fisher beaten 2-1 at home by Jersey Bulls. Uh, AFC Whiteleaf went out 3-2 at North Greenford United. 
And Glebe were beaten 6-3 at home by Sporting Bengal United. And that result was the end of the line for Luke Rooney, the Glebe manager appointed in the summer, uh, left the club by mutual consent shortly after that defeat. Uh, disappointing way to go. And I suppose everyone at Glebe will be disappointed with their start to the season, Ryan. Yeah, I think Glebe were one of them clubs that I think last year sort of really pushed on and would have been disappointed to go up. They were in a very difficult um, division last year. Obviously, you had Sheppey and Chatham um, pushing forward in that division as well. And I think the likes of appointing someone like Luke Rooney, who has, uh, you know, a bit of a name in non-league football, I think they would have been hoping for um, better results under him. But but like you say, a 6-3 defeat in the FA Vars, it's... Um, Pretty disappointing, and, and I'm sure Luke himself would say, um, you know, that that's not good enough for Glebe, and 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 that's probably why that decision was mutually agreed on on Saturday evening or Sunday morning, whichever that was. Um, but but yeah, Glebe are, Glebe are a club that obviously have ambitions to go higher, and 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 they work hard to to do that off the field, and they're trying to do it on it as well. Um, but but results like that obviously aren't what they're looking for, and and I think that's why that decision was probably reached. Um, over the weekend because you know but but fair play to Luke for giving it a go um, you know and, and I expect he will get back into management somewhere um, you know pretty soon I'm sure yeah the uh, the draw for the next round we've got another all scaffold tie uh, in the in the third round proper uh, Stansfield will take on Irith Town that should be a really good game Saturday the 3rd of December uh, those games initial kickoffs are 3 o'clock but I know a lot of other teams uh, are moving their games earlier that day because there is a possibility that England will be playing that evening uh, Deal Town will head to face Sporting Bengal United, conquerors of Glebe and Larkfield and New Hive are at home to Rains Park Vale uh, in that third round. A few games in the scaffold uh, over the weekend, of course, best league in the county. Uh, Irith and Belvedere, two nil winners against Canterbury City. Uh, it's K-Sports, Neil Wellingtown, three. Uh, friend of the show, Luke Exel, made his return from injury in that game as well, so good to see that. Uh, a three nil win away as well for Homesdales. They beat Lordswood. It was Rustle two, Whitstable one. And a two-all draw between Sutton Athletic and Beer. So there's one game on Wednesday night, uh, Irith Town against Irith and Belvedere. So that should be an interesting one as well. Uh, in the first division, Fabsham beat Strike Force beat Bermondsey Town 4-1. Uh, it was Lidtown 1, Croydon 5, SC Thamesmead 3, Brydon Ropes 2, Snodland Town beat Greenways 3-1, Staples Monarchs 4-2, Victors over Lewisham Borough, and Tooting Beck 1, FC Elmstead 1. Obviously, there are fixtures. Uh, in the scaffold over the weekend. On Saturday, Canterbury at home to Russell. Two o'clock kick off that one at Sittingbourne. Uh, it's Deal against Irith and Belvedere. That's a big old game. Uh, Fisher against K-Sports. Glebe against Beerstead. Another two o'clock kickoff. Holmesdale against Kennington. Hollands and Blair take on Stansfeld. Another two o'clock kickoff. Phoenix Sports against Lordswood. Punjab United take on Tunbridge Wells. Wellington hosts Sutton Athletic. Whitstall Town take on Irith Town. And then in the first division over the weekend, we've got... AFC Whiteleaf against Larkfield and New Hyde. Greenways take on Faversham Strike Force. Lidtown against Staples Monarchs. Rochester United against Snodland Town. And then there's one game on Wednesday next week, Lewisham Borough against Forest Hill Park. It's a funny time of year because there's not so many midweek games at the moment, I think, because they they know that there's a World Cup going on. So uh, we shall see how that goes. But um, I guess, Ryan, you don't necessarily take a, a keen eye on the scaffold all the time, but what a division it is, hey? No, I do. I, I love the scaffold league. I think it's got some fantastic teams in it. Um, I think for, for for the level that it is, I think some people sort of misunderstand that level. I think they think it's sort of park football. It's, it's certainly not. You have some great teams in there. I think, you know, well, a shout out, I'll, you know, I would definitely make it to Dill Town. I think, you know, the, intendant, the attendances increase that they've seen this year is just um, absolute um, sort of 
um, I, I don't even know the word. It's sort of incredible. You know, they're getting attendances of four or five hundred every every week at home, and and I think that you know that is testament to the people at Deal Town. They're a fantastic club. Um, Natalie, I've known obviously Rob, and I know Alice is involved there in, in terms of sponsorship as well. And they, but they're they're good people, and they've got the right um, the right ethos to run a football club. And and teams like Deal and like I say, Eric and Belvedere are, are doing great things in that league. Obviously. Um, like I say, there's lots of good good clubs in there. So no, I, I keep a very close eye on the scaffold, and I think it's one that um, it, it deserves more recognition than it than it gets. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's move on then to our second interview of the week. Um, it's pretty much self-explanatory. I don't need to say too much about this, but uh, there's a documentary uh, which is premiering uh, this weekend uh, in Kent uh, about what happened when the money was given out in the National League. Uh, it's all going to be explained over the next few minutes, but Fred Atkins is the man behind the documentary and you're going to hear from him now. And he's going to start by explaining exactly why the documentary Gate Money has been produced. OK, well, the documentary is the story of what happened to the National League during the pandemic. And basically what happened was all the clubs had to go into lock, you know, into hibernation. Um, there was quite a lot of... Um, you know, agonising over how clubs were going to get through it um, and how they were going to survive it. And most clubs initially did it by basically sort of slashing any cost that they could, putting all their employees into furlough and just basically keeping it in mothballs. Um, so for most clubs, the biggest outlay was always going to be players' wages. Um, so the furlough scheme covered that. But the electricity bills... And all of the other bills kept on coming in and the club still had to cover these. Um, so that was always a bit of a dilemma. And they were sort of bumping along um, without really thinking about what would happen when uh, they had to return to action. Um, and then it sort of, it, it got to a point where they said, right, we think we're going to be able to play football again in the start of the, I think it was 2021 season. Um, and there were rumours about a grant being given, a government grant that was going to cover the players' wages for the first three months. But they were only rumours at that point. There was nothing confirmed about it. Um, and then, to, I, I was actually quite surprised when it came through, a £10 million lottery grant was awarded to the National League. And this would have been enough to get clubs through those first three months. And so what happened was a lot of clubs agreed to sign players, um, but when the money was due to be divided up, uh, they were told it was going to be based on gate receipts. So, for example, a club with a thousand supporters would get the equivalent money to cover a thousand supporters, um, and a club with a hundred supporters would get the equivalent money to cover a hundred supporters. Uh, but what actually happened when they dished out the money, they didn't really take any account of um, club's attendances. So they've been planning all along that they were going to have their gate money covered. And if what actually happened was it was basically just decided upon which division the club was in. Um, so the end result of that was a club like, for example, Wrexham or Chesterfield or you know very well-supported clubs up north like Notts County ended up thousands of pounds worse off than they thought they would be. Um, whereas to go to the extreme other end of the scale, a club like Boreham Wood, which was the worst supported club in the National League, ended up 
with far more money than they probably anticipated. Uh, and as you can imagine, this didn't go down brilliantly with some of the clubs that, that lost out. Um, but when it did break, I have to admit, I didn't initially think it was a huge amount, a great story, to be honest. Because by that point in the pandemic, I'd just become so desensitised by sort of constant stories about um, defective PPE equipment, um, things not being put out to tender, Matt Hancock giving out deals to his mates, that I didn't really think a story about non-league football was going to cut through. Um, and it turned out I seriously underestimated how angry people were. Obviously, you've gone on to make this documentary, and, and I'm guessing it's going to go into a lot of detail uh, about that. How long ago did you have the idea of actually coming up with this with this show? It was about a year ago. Um, I ended up on a Zoom call with Jasper Spanjart, who is the director, and he directed a film called The Unknown Torres, uh, which is about uh, a non-league footballer. In fact, he was a professional footballer as well, Sergio Torres. He played for Eastbourne Borough Whitehawk, um, and he also he started his career at Basingstoke. Um, and he got in touch with me and said he fancied making a film. And we ended up on a Zoom call discussing. I didn't actually think it would... It, you quite often find, you know, you get involved in projects like this and nothing happens after the initial meeting. But um, we, we made a few phone calls. Um, and the key to it was when we heard that David Bernstein wanted to talk to us. He was the former head of the FA and the former chairman of Man City. Um, and he clearly had things that he wanted to get off his chest um, because he'd been asked to make a report on what had happened during the funding saga uh, and his report was never published and he was clearly very angry that it hadn't been published but he was very angry in a very David Bernstein-like way so it was all very controlled and civilised um, but he agreed to do an interview with us and that was what sort of started the ball rolling. We thought, well, if we're talking to him um, you know, there's obviously a lot of other people we could talk to. And uh, that was how it started, really. And I suppose, obviously, getting people to, to think back to, to, to the pandemic time was probably quite quite difficult for a lot of people as well. But I, but I, I guess you, you've needed to do that to, to get the footage. And I suppose, how many people have, have you got on, on this documentary in total? Well, we've got quite a few. Um, I mean, from a Kent point of view, we've got interviews with... Uh, Terry Casey of Maystone United, um, Dave Neverstreet at Tumbridge Angels, and otherwise, outside of that, we've, we've been to Chester, uh, Dulwich Hamlet. Uh, we talked to Ollie Bayliss, Ollie, Ollie Bayliss of uh, BBC Radio, uh, Tracy Crouch, the MP for uh, Chatham and Aylesford, who was um, previously sports minister. Um, so we talked to quite a few people, um, and... We, what we found was there was no shortage of people who were keen to talk about what had happened. And as you say, it was it was a very difficult time. And I think it's easy to sort of forget that in hindsight now that we're all back in the ground and we're all, you know, hopefully enjoying being able to watch football again. Um, it was a very strange experience. So I was a commentator at Maidstone, so I was one of the sort of lucky ones in the stand, but it was just a very peculiar experience being in their grounds at that time. And what we found when we were talking to people was it actually, I think they found it quite cathartic to talk about it 
it was like it was um, something they needed to get off their chest. And uh, it was, yeah, it, it's, it's funny to think it's still only barely a year ago that we were talking about being locked down again. So, um, you know, it was a very strange experience. You've got some showings this week uh, of the documentary. After that, is it going to be available to watch anywhere else? It is, yeah. It's going to be, we're going to be screening it live at uh, both Maidstone and Tunbridge on Friday night. Uh, the Tunbridge screening starts at seven o'clock and the Maidstone screening is going to be at half past seven. And they're both free events, so everyone's welcome to come along. Um, and if you can't make the screening, it will be available. It'll be free to air from probably November the 24th. Uh, we're going to probably have it on YouTube and possibly on Amazon as well. Um, but we'll we'll announce it on our social media channel and um, on our website as well. As you just said, obviously, you've got Maystone tendencies. I know we, we had Oliver Ash on the show talking about, uh, about that at the time, and, and he was very... Uh, frustrated by it all and you and you've said there you know about how it didn't necessarily seem fed when you were doing the document did you find anyone who kind of made you question the viewpoint that 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 the the way they did it was actually right um no <laughs> uh, to be honest no one wanted to defend it and uh, we did try and get in touch with about a dozen officials and executives um from the national league absolutely none of them would talk to us uh, that just refused point blank. I mean, we had some fairly civil conversations with people while we were trying to arrange interviews. But when it came down to it, nobody wanted to defend it. A couple of people um, were happy to play devil's advocate. But we also made a point of talking to clubs that didn't necessarily get hit that hard by the distribution. So we went to Dorking Wanderers, for example. And they were one of the clubs that actually got more money than they would have done had they used the gate money distribution model but their chairman Mark White who's fairly well known in non-league circles he could see the problems with that model coming a mile off um, because as soon as it was distributed like that all hell broke loose and so even if you were the chairman of a club that had done well out of it it was just a short term solution because what happened was the money ran out after three months and there'd been such a fuss about what had happened even this government, the government that has been handing out money to Matt Hancock's mates and God knows what, even they didn't really want to have anything to do with the National League at that point. So when it became clear that they were going to need another grant because fans were not going to be allowed back in the stadium, um, you know, it's, if you went to the National Lottery in those circumstances and asked for another £10 million after what had happened, I don't think it's that difficult to... Um, imagine what their reaction would be. No, and obviously just finally moving away from, from the documentary, which sounds fantastic, by the way, and I'll look forward to, to watching it. Um, Maystone United, back in the National League, enjoying it? Um, <laughs> it's one of those things, isn't it? You, you want to get promoted, um, but you know that when you do, you're going to struggle. It was sort of more fun last year when you turned up and, you know, you're winning pretty much every week, whereas... Um, it's pretty similar to what happened last time Mason got promoted. Um, I think they've got enough about them to stay up this year. They've shown enough recently to do it. But it's just the sort of thing that you know, it happens at every sports club when you lose a section of the support sort of events on social media and it can become quite toxic. 
And the only way to solve that is by winning matches, really. So um, hopefully the form will pick up, and I, I think it will. I suppose a win away at Scunthorpe in the league on Saturday has got to be one of the greatest results of, of, of this Manchester United era, hasn't it? Uh, I wouldn't go quite that far. Yeah. It's probably one of the most necessary results of the era. Um, because I think it's 13 games without a win at that point. Um, I could give you a list of games that have, have meant more to me than that. you know. But um, when it comes to sort of yeah, just just the need to give everybody at the club a lift. Um, it just gave everyone a bit of a boost because you know when you're in a losing run, it does affect people. It affects relationships, and uh, I think it's just given everybody a bit of a lift this week. Uh, so, so you uh, just to sum up, you are confident the Maidstone have got enough, and 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 Hakan's the man to do it. Yeah, I think so. I think he's got a track record of it. I mean, I see quite a few similarities um, with. The way that Jay Saunders kept Maidstone up, a couple, you know, a few years back, um, you're going to have a bad run because you're up against teams that are packing some serious financial heat in this division. Uh, but I think they've got enough to get the results that they'll need. I think, yeah, I think he is the man to do it. Uh, and just finally, one last plug for for the documentary. What's it called, and where can we find it on social media? Okay, it's called Gate Money. And uh, you can find it on social media at GateMoneyDoc. And our website is GateMoney.co.uk. It was interesting. Well, I think my favourite thing in there, Ryan, was when I said to him, did you find anyone who thought that they did it right? And he went, no, no one. No. Um, so was it. It, it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a, a, a mess, wasn't it? And I suppose um, we've, that's been discussed in quite a lot of detail. We've discussed it a lot on this show. But with your Margate hat on, did you look at the clubs in the National League and, I mean, one division above you getting a big handout from the government and think, well, hang on, what's going to help us? Yeah, you do. Naturally, you do. I'd lie if I didn't. Um, you, you naturally look at, you know, that sort of, them sort of payments and go, well, actually, we're only one division below it. Do we not deserve a cut of this of this pie sort of thing? Um, you know, we had our struggles, um, but not just us. Look, it was every single club in non-league football and even the EFL and, you know, it was tough on everyone. So you can't, or well, I won't sit and criticise the decisions that were made. I won't sit and make um, comments that, you know, run people down for decisions that were made, but it was very, very tough on all the clubs. Um, and yeah, naturally, you know, even, even maybe just personally, not as a club, but personally you sit there and go, but like, like you say, hang on, we're, we're probably we're probably getting similar attendances to some of them teams in the in the National League South. Um, so shouldn't we be being helped here? We're also missing out on gate money. We're also missing out on sponsorship money. Um, can we have just a little bit of your of your pie there? But but look, that was the way they did it. It it, it wasn't ideal. Um, and like you say, there was there wasn't many people backing up um, from what Fred there said about you know no one no one. No one actually said, yeah, they've done it right. The one thing I would say with my sensible hat on, which is very rare, um, you know, we was in the middle of a pandemic that had never happened before. No one knew how to deal with it. Um, so they did the best they, they could. Um, whether that was right or wrong is not for me to say, but 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 yeah, you did as a, as a club in the Ishmael Premier look at the National League South teams getting a bit of money and going, oh, hang on a minute, <laughs> could, you, could you throw some our way? But they didn't. Um, they got some of it wrong, they got some of it right. Um, 
But a, a really, really interesting interview there with Fred, and I cannot wait to see the documentary because it's it's going to hit right to the heart of um, you know people like us that that love non league football. Yeah, and I think it, it is interesting. You know, I mean, I guess it could have been quite complicated to 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 sit down and work it out, but they had nothing else to do. Um, and and in the end, I I think it is a problem with the National League as a whole is is, is the way that their voting works. You know, I think we we discussed mm. this before. You know, it doesn't give everybody a, a fair say. You've got what sixty six teams in that league, or as it was at the time, I think it's now seventy two, isn't it? But that yeah. they had those teams, and and it's it's so weighted in favour of 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 other clubs, and and you know, it's the the voting process weighted towards the National League, oddly, because they would probably have been the one that would have come out and actually said, no, this is what needs to be done. Um, and you know, it's yeah, I think it's be really interesting to see the the reaction to this documentary, and and, and you know, it affected so many of our clubs, and, and I guess. What was telling there was he said, you know, we spoke to a couple of clubs who did what better than they should have done out of it, and they yeah. thought it was wrong, and, and and that that kind of shows you it exactly that the whole system just didn't work, did it? No, and I think you know when you got people saying that that actually benefited more than others out of it, saying it was wrong as well. It, it's an indication that a lot of people felt that way. Um, but like I say, I'm always mindful of the fact that. You know, it, it was in unprecedented times and it was a really difficult time for, for everyone, personally, work-wise, um, socially, mentally. It, it was a tough time for, for everyone and, and thank God we're now moving out of it. Um, but like you say, when you've got people that actually benefited better from other clubs saying, yeah, this isn't right, of course there's questions and there's doubts over what, you know, what should have been done and the right way to do it. And I'm sure that should we ever return to that situation again, which... Hopefully we never do um, the national league, and, and and then people running them leagues would have would have learnt from from this past experience and 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 won't make the same mistakes again. Yes, uh, Maidstone United, as Fred mentioned, they're two new winners at Scunthorpe. I think what I meant with that question when I said to him was it one of the biggest results was more when Maidstone were in in the the Kent League or, or as well as or the, the Scaffold level. Scunthorpe were in the Championship, so I guess the the gravitas of that result is probably more than. Uh, the, more than the actual effectiveness of it, but that was a much needed win for the Stones. Do you know what? I was at Wingate and Finchley on Saturday, and uh, I saw it was nil nil at half time. And, and, and I said to one of my colleagues at Margate, I said, "Mate, Stone are really going through it at the moment, and Scunthorpe's a really difficult place to go, no matter what form they're in." Um, so I said, for them to get a result today would be something, and and to go back in at full time at Margate and see they've won two nil. Um, was, was a massive result, and and I see what you mean there about your question to Fred, and I think maybe yeah he. Um, he was thinking about, you know, past history and other results that have gone their way. But in this moment, certainly in this season and the form they're in, and and like you say, a club like Scunthorpe, which I know they're at, we're all playing at the level we're at now. I know that, but you can't help but look at Scunthorpe's history and gone. You know, they were a championship team. Now they're in the National League and Maidstone have gone there and won 2-0. That's a huge result. And, and I'm pleased for Hack and I'm pleased for the club because... You know, it's always it's always nice to see a, a you know a, a Maidstone in the National League. They're they're a great club, and um, you know, well well done to them on a, on a, on a on a great win at Scunthorpe, and and maybe now they can kick on and a bit of pressure's taken off Hack, and um, you know, they can they can move forward and 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 push on and and hopefully keep themselves in that division. Uh, are Maidstone the sort of club that uh, someone like Margate looks to and thinks, do you know what they've they've done it right? I think in football, you look at every club and see that there's elements of it that have done right and there's elements of it that have done wrong. Um, Maidstone is one of them clubs that you look and and they have good attendances. They have, obviously, the 3G pitch. They're, they're, in, they're in a good division. They have a good manager. 
Um, so certainly, yeah, Maidstone. But look, you can look at every club. I look at Deal and admire what they do uh, at times. I look at Ramsgate and admire what they do at times. Um, you know, and there's other clubs I look at and I think, oh, I, I wouldn't want to do that at Margate because I don't think it would work here. Every demographic is different, of course. So, but yeah, by and large, you would look at Maidstone and go, this is where we would like to be in so many years' time, definitely. At Bromley, 1-1 draw at home to Halifax on Saturday. They go to Dorking Wanderers this weekend uh, while Maidstone have another uh, big, well-known team coming down to the Gallagher this time, Oldham Athletic, who are also struggling uh, near the foot of the National League. Uh, they come to the Gallagher Stadium three o'clock on Saturday. Uh, into the National League South, and Matt said it last week on the show. He said they've got to lose at some point, Ebbsfleet United, and some point was on Saturday when they played Tunbridge Angels uh, at Stonebridge Road, whatever it's called, the Cufflink. I don't know. I don't. I don't follow these. I'm Hartstone Park. Yes, yeah? you haven't got any funny names, have you? No, no. Yeah. We've got some funny, funny people on the board like myself, but no, no funny names. Just Hartstone Park. <laughs> you used to have plenty of funny people sitting in the stands as well. But uh, <laughs> move off that. Um, but what a result for for Tom and Joe's. Obviously, you, you'll know Jay a little bit from his time at, at Gate, and not really a surprise actually that his team have it in them to go and win at Ebbsfleet, uh, and a great result for them. Absolutely fantastic result, and again, I, I sound like a broken record, but you know, I was at Wingate on Saturday, and uh, and I looked at that fixture for Jay and Tunbridge, and of course, we, as a club, we, you know, we we really appreciate what Jay done for us, not only as a manager but as a player as well. So, we want to see him go and do do well, you know, wherever he is. So, um, you always knew that that game at Ebbsfleet was going to be really difficult. Um, and and to get a win there was, like you say, it doesn't surprise you at all that Jay and his side and, and that squad he's assembled has gone and, and gone and ended that long run for Ebsfleet. Um, because that's what that's what he does, and and you know, that's what that's what we enjoyed doing at Margate at times, and and, and I'm sure Tunbridge will have lots of days like that as well. So, um, you know, great, great, great win for Jay, great win for Tunbridge. Obviously, Swifty got on the score sheet as well, so. Um, you know, we, we we love Ben as well, obviously at Margate. Um, but no, it was a really, really good day for Jay and um, you know, Ebsley will be hurting, but that's what football does. Um, so, you know, really happy for Jay and a, and a, and a great win for Tunbridge too. I suppose the the frustrating thing from a Ken point of view was that Dartford were not able to take advantage uh, as they were beating three one at Farnborough. It was one of those odd days actually. Where a lot of the teams at the top lost. Concord Rangers. Uh, was a destination for Welling and that ended 1-1. It was also 1-1 uh, when Dover played Chippenham. Uh, and yeah, so disappointed for them. And there was a game on Tuesday night as well, just the one uh, Oxford City against Dover Athletic and it finished 3-1 uh, to, to Oxford City. So a defeat for Dover, who've been on a decent run, uh, but we talk about them enough as it is. Uh, Ebbsfleet United though, um, Ryan, we, we touched on them obviously with their with their first league defeat of the season. Uh, they, they were, I think they were the last professional team to be unbeaten. Uh, they'll bounce back, won't they? And I still think, even despite that setback, they're, they're still the favourites to win the league, aren't they? They're a fantastic side. They're a fantastic side. They've got a fantastic manager. they got a good crowd, a lovely stadium. Um, then, 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 for me, not a National League South side. They should be in that National League. And, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I think they'll be, you know, disappointed come the end of the season if they're not promoted. Um, obviously, they missed out last season in dramatic fashion. Um and and I think it's testament to to Ebbsfleet squad and Ebbsfleet manager and Ebbsfleet as a club that actually when you you know we've seen in the past so many times a club in the playoff final um, don't get the result they want and, and not even in the circumstances that Ebbsfleet lost it in to be fair um, 
and then the next season they struggle to get going. That's absolutely not the case this year for Ebbsfleet. Um, they've hit the ground running, and like you say, they'll be disappointed with Saturday, um, but they'll bounce back. Uh, you know, I, I believe they're still in the FA Cup as well. Um, so, look, they're having a great season, and, and and like you say, they'll be disappointed if they don't come back and and, and push on and, and go and win promotion from the National League South to the National League. You know, Premier, which I, I firmly believe that is is where they deserve to be. You know a bit about the National League South, obviously, from your from the the couple of years that Gate had up there. It's it's a hard old league, isn't it? A lot of travelling. Um, I remember we went down to Truro, didn't we, together? That just kind of shows the the the, the distances that can be involved in, in that league. And and I think to to perform consistently as Ebbsfleet have done so far takes a lot of doing, doesn't it? Because it is. It's a bit of a slog. There's lots of long journeys in there, and and you know there's some really good teams, and there's some money about there. So you you know what a tough league it is, don't you? Oh, you, you throw all the elements in that you just mentioned: the money, the travelling. Um, it it it's almost like another professional division, and and I think that's where you sort of get lost again in it, where you think that a lot of the clubs in there are full time, and then they're not, and and. And these players still go to work. The, you know, I remember some of our players coming back from Truro, God knows what hour of the morning, and having to go to work the next day. Um, you know, all all things like that that you you don't even think about maybe as a fan or or if you if you're just going to watch games at that level, you don't consider all them elements. And like you say, the travelling is, is is filthy sometimes, especially when you're a Kent club that's a little bit out of the way, like we are at Margate, Ramsgate, obviously. Even even Dover to some extent, going to Oxford on a Tuesday night—that's a horrible journey. That is a really horrible journey. And is it any surprise that they've lost that game three-one? Uh, Probably not. Um, in 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 terms just of the elements that go alongside it, it you know, if that game's on a Saturday, it might have been a different score uh, score line. Um, and and look, you, you can make excuses from travelling and 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 money and budgets and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but it is a really 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 tough league and I think anyone that gets out of it um, is delighted to do so but you know you go into National League Premier and that's even more filthy Um, so um, yeah it's one of them that you you know you want to get out of it but then when you do you think Christ this is a whole new level when we go up again Um, and just to bring you back to our time at Margate in the National League South I think the National League South is a lot more enjoyable if you uh, win one of your 18 games it, to, to begin with, that was <laughs> that was one of a, a very dark time for the club, and you know I, I shouldn't laugh about it, but now it's sort of come and gone. You sort of look back and you think, you know, I'd get home some nights uh, from a game and I'd ring my mum and I say, oh, you know, we lost two 0 this week. Oh well, you're doing better than last week because you lost five. <laughs> yeah, one of them. It was a real, real, real tough time. So um, I hopefully next time we are in there and hopefully our next experience isn't quite as traumatic as the last one because. Uh, yeah, it was tough. But yeah, a couple crazy. of games on Tuesday night in uh, in that league uh, involving Kent teams. Uh, Dartford make the trip to Oxford. Another long trip as well as Tommy Angels uh, head down to Worthing. For the rest of the teams, uh, well, for the weekend, in fact, it is the FA Trophy. And folks in Victor are the only Eastman League team from Kent still standing. They head to Beaconsfield. Uh, Ebbsfleet are at home to Eastbourne Borough. Two o'clock kick off that one. Dartford go to Swindon Supermarine. Tommy Angels host Bracknell Town and Uxbridge is the destination for Dover Athletic and it's Welling United against Haventon Waterlooville. And the FA Trophy is a tough one for, for clubs in the National League South because um, where does it sit in your in your list of priorities? Because realistically, in a couple of rounds time, you're going to get the likes of 
Chesterfield, Wrexham, etc., coming into the competition, Notts County, your Scunthorpes, your Oldhams, everything like that. It's going to be hard for a Tunbridge Angels or a Welling United to, to win this competition. How would you view it ahead of a busy fixture period? Would you look at it and think this is a chance to maybe give some some players some game time or, or, or do you just want to go hell for leather for it? Um, I think teams like Tunbridge, like you mentioned, Tunbridge, Dartford, Welling, they'll, they'll be looking at it. And be, But you know what? On their day, they can beat a Wrexham. They can beat a Chesterfield. It, it might be a bit of luck. It might be a penalty. It might be a goal off someone's backside. But on their day, they know that they they could do it. If if I was a manager and I was, you know, sitting in that management seat now going into this game, the FA trophy is is again underrated in my opinion. And and it blows my mind sometimes when, you know, some of the bigger clubs in the National League sort of play less players, um or sorry, play players, fringe players, shall I say, um, in, in them early ties. Because at the end of the day, the final is at Wembley, the final is televised. It is a hell of a day out for your supporters. Um, I'm very, very lucky to have been involved at the Gosport Borough media team when they reached the final, um, you know, quite some years ago now. Um, and it can just change a club. And I, and I think it goes so sort of under the radar that the impact it can have on a club if they do well. And like I say, if I was a Jay Saunders or, a, or a Alan Dowson this weekend going into that FA Trophy game, I'd think, right, let's get through this one. And if nothing more, if nothing more than we get to give our fans a great day out at a Wrexham or a Chesterfield, then you've you've achieved something. And but like I said, on their on their day in cup competitions, you know, you only have to look at the FA Cup for for sort of shocks that we see there. There's no reason why a Tunbridge or a Dartford or a Welling couldn't do that to a to a National League side. And and then like you say, and the, and the great thing about this competition is you don't have to win many games to get to Wembley. Um, and then. Wow, what an what what an experience for the players, for the club, for all the volunteers, for all the fans that are involved in in your club. So, if it was me, I'd be going hell for leather to try and get through to the next round and see as far as I could go in in the competition. Because, like you say, the the, the end goal is a day out of Wembley, and and who knows what happens there? Hornchurch won it a few years ago. You know, Gosport got to the final all them years ago when I was there in their media team. It's it's a it's a competition that can see a club of of of, of Ishmael Premier or alike go to the final, and then that changes the whole club. So, you know, good luck to everyone this weekend, and hopefully they can keep the flag flying for Kent um, in in the competition. I think that the frustrating thing is, is is you look at the prize money, and I think you know there's a lot of hoo ha about the disparity between the uh, the women's FA Cup and the men's FA Cup and the prize money, but. The teams who lose in this FA Trophy second round proper on Saturday will get £1,000. Now, Dartford <clears> have got to go all the way out to Swindon. And if they lose that game, then the sum total they're going to make from their FA Trophy campaign is a grand. And and that's not not a lot of money. And I think that's a frustrating thing. Um, I didn't mention Dover Athletic when I was talking about uh, teams who are looking to, to go in it. Because uh, we talk about Dover enough on this bloody show anyway. But Matt told me last week uh, when we were messing about before or after the show that for him, the FA Trophy is a huge priority this season and he wants Dover to go a long way. They've got a friendly tie first up away at Uxbridge, a game that they should be winning. But yeah. Dover are possibly the, the one team in that division who might be who might be looking at it thinking, actually, yeah, we will have a good run here. Our league form hasn't been what we're looking, what we're looking for. 
and it, and it, winning breeds confidence, and and we all know, much to everyone's hilarity, Dover haven't won a lot of games of football lately, have they? <laughs> oh, Matt will kill us when he's back from guitar. Um, no, they haven't. They haven't won enough games in the last two years to to get their fans excited. Um, and this competition will be high on their list, I'm sure. And like Matt said, it's one that they can they can go out and they can express themselves and win a game, get you know, get into the third round, and then you're only a couple of rounds away from the quarterfinals and see what the draw throws up and excitement goes and everyone gets behind it and all of a sudden the sort of momentum can can take you. And before you know it, you're on the doorsteps of Wembley and 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 like I say, for a club like Dover, Tunbridge, Welling, Dartford, it would be huge for them. Um, and and I think that, and I think that someone like you know Dover, who like you say, have have got difficult league form at the moment. They're not doing maybe as well as they wanted to do. They certainly didn't do as well last year as they wanted to do. Then, 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 then cup competitions become sometimes a priority. Um, you know, I spoke earlier about our aims at Margate when we when we set out our aims at the start of the season. You know, they, they change after six games because all, almost you, you're saying, well, that's not happened or that's not happened or this has happened. Dover will be doing that. You know, you know they'll be looking at this game at the weekend going, you know what, if we can get through to the third round of this trophy, see then what happens. And and like you say, it breeds breeds confidence and it becomes a habit winning. Um, so win this weekend at Uxbridge, maybe then win a league game, go into then the third round and, and cause a shock somewhere and momentum everything changes. Everything changes within a club when you're winning. And I can vouch for that from my time at Margate, from my time at Gosport. You know, and I'm not on a Gosport, I'm a Kent club, but when I was down there at uni, I joined their media team in November and they hadn't won a game. Um, we then didn't lose for 24 games and we went up via the playoffs and it was an incredible feeling around the club. And, and look, I'm not saying that's going to happen to any of our Kent clubs here, but what an experience and, and what a time and, and like I say Dover will be um, thinking like that you know Uxbridge is a is a winnable game for them you would think they would win it um, and, and then you know they can kick on from there with, with a bit of luck for them yeah absolutely well that's it for the, for the football chat Ryan um, always like to get some other stuff off our chests towards the end um, I went to see I don't know if you've heard about it um, there's a film called Living with Bill Nye in it and everyone's raving about it saying it's one of the best films I've ever seen. It's not. Um, <laughs> it was so slow paced. Now, it, it, we kind of left the, the cinema and I'm going to be honest, we took the average age of the cinema down quite considerably. Um, <laughs> but we kind of left and we were both like, it's just a bit slow. Uh, and it's like it had so much more potential for so much more to happen, if, if that makes yeah. sense. And you were like, yeah. they could have delved into that. They could have delved into that. And they didn't. And it was just kind of a bit like, oh, so um, it's got rave reviews. Um, but the review from the uh, from the idiot who talks about football on, on a silly Kent Only podcast is not the best. Well, and do you know what? Sometimes that's the most important review because you haven't got any uh, links to the the actors or the, or the filmmakers. So you haven't been bribed to say some good things about it. So uh, I'll take your word. I'll stay clear. Um, <laughs> only having 30% vision. I can't say I'm a massive film buff anyway, but... Um, I'm definitely taking that one off the list then for when I uh, settle down at the cinema next time. Um, but no, you get you get a lot of films like that, don't you? And and particularly for me, it's like the series on Netflix that you watch six episodes and you think, Christ, how's this one going to finish? And then 
you get to the seventh and it's a bit as flat as a pancake and you're like, oh, I've just wasted seven hours of my life, um, you know, doing that. So, well, I, I wrote that one down. I won't be going to see that one then, John, <laughs> on your say-so. So forget the forget the reviews in the papers. I'm, I'm listening to the Kent Non-League podcast to get my film reviews and uh, definitely, uh, definitely not going to that one then. <laughs> Fair enough. Very sensible. In in your day to day life as well, like do you are you able to cook stuff, or or, or do you have people to do you have like help, or do you go around your mums, or, or or what? You know, with it, does it all impact you on a day to day life and things like that? I mean, because you know me, I can I obviously can just cook up anything. I can run a pie up, yeah. you know, and 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 uh, knock a pie up and and drive it up to Tunbridge Wells to give it to someone. Um, you know, just just at the drop of a hat. But for you, do things like that does that impact you as well? Uh, there's a lot more planning to it. I can. I'm still very lucky where I'm, I have independent living, but that is with no thanks. But to the to the to the amazing work at the KAB, and I, and I know I spoke about them earlier, but I cannot put into words how much they help. The amount of equipment um, to help me be able to live independently that they've provided free of charge is unbelievable. Um, you know, and and some of these things that I talk about to to your listeners or to you will will be very unfamiliar, but um, I have like um, little dots on my oven where I can feel where to turn the heat to. So they're they're set at certain points. So 200, 180 um, and 220. On the microwave, I have them set on sort of a few minutes. Um, the washing machine, I have it on the same. I have some pans that are very different to what you would be able to buy in a shop because they sort of hold less water. I, when I make a cup of tea, I have a an alarm that beeps when the water hits a certain level so I don't overspill. Um, you know, the amount of technology on there, it, it, out there for, for people with sight impairment is is incredible. Um, and, it, and it means people like me can still live independently. Um, I make no bones about it when I'm talking about it. The hardest thing for me, and you will know, because I'm sure every time we used to speak when we was covering Margate, I would be in my car, um, you know, um, and the day I got that letter to say, we're taking your driving license from you, um, probably broke me for about six months because, you know, like you just said, you can pop up to Tunbridge Wells and drop a pie off or, or you know, a Christmas present or, you know, for me, that that now is gone. Um, so for me going to away games, it's a lot more planning. For me, just going over to Margate for a board meeting is a lot more planning. For me, going to a hospital appointment is a lot more planning because it's not just me able to get in my car and drive down the road um to, to to get to those places it's a lot more difficult in that respect does it stop me absolutely not um you know so day-to-day -day life is different every day when you when you're sight impaired like i say the, the the weather affects your eyes the lighting um you know all these different things your environment the amount of people in the room um so yeah look it's it's tough but I, I love talking about it I love getting my story out there because I think if there's just one of your listeners out there with sight impairment that and there probably are lots because you know um you know people with sight impairment tend to sort of listen to podcasts and music a lot more um I hope they would listen to this and go do you know what this guy hasn't stopped doing what he does and and he he, he just keeps going which for me is is fundamental for me and my mental health um and because you could easily you know, like with any illness, um, you could easily, you know, shut up shop and, and just sort of not get involved in certain areas of, of social life that you used to. But it's not been the case for me. And, and, I, and I love that I, I managed to get through that really difficult six months. And now, you know, 
uh, I gave up work December 2018. So we're coming up to four years now of, of, of this situation. So, um, you know, it's it's been a long four years, but like I say, the, the support um, is uh, has been incredible. And in terms of going to my mum's for dinner, I try to avoid it because uh, my, my cooking's far better. <laughs> So, I'm, I'm, I'm sure though your mum would do you like a, a nice pie and there'd be a declaration of love on the top of it something like that so uh, like that. if you've been inspired by uh well this very inspirational friend of mine uh ryan day you can donate to the kent association for the blind uh you can go on their website www.kab.org.uk uh ryan is a uh one of the nicest people that i've ever come across working uh, in football and it's been an absolute honor to have him on the show with us today he mentioned music there um my trip along uh the world of uh the south coast was inspired by my favorite band biffy clara who i went to see again uh last night it's three times in seven weeks and do you know what i'm not bored of them yet if they were playing again tonight i'd bloody go again if i wasn't you would, you would. Um, but they were fantastic again last night. even though uh my friend managed to get seated tickets which was a first for me uh but i actually quite enjoyed it uh, maybe i'm getting old uh, anyway we have gone on for long enough um ryan i just want to say again a massive thank you to you for coming on the show today absolutely loved it john anytime ever whenever matt leaves you in the lurch again give me a call and we'll, we'll go again are you, are you looking forward to the world cup actually because there's a lot of there's a, a lot of um like hit back about it because of where it is uh and various bits and pieces um but you know it's the bloody world cup mate and it starts in like four days you, there's got to be some excitement isn't there Oh, there's there's a bit of me that is absolutely buzzing. I know the I know the concerns around the the human rights and the LGBT community, and you know, I, and rightly so, rightly so. Yeah, I, I, I'm just gonna I was just gonna say that absolutely. Um, align myself with 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 them concerns, and and you know, disappointed that the World Cup would go to a a country that has them social issues still in 2022. And the timing of it being in November, do you know what? I don't like that either. But at the same time, it's unique. There's something different. Um, and like you say, it's the World Cup. Come 1pm Monday, the whole country will stop to watch England play Iran. Um, and we'll get behind the boys and we'll go through the roller coaster that is England. Um, and 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 all of them, all of them social issues that you know we we want to talk about and we want to raise. You know, they wrongly they'll they'll be forgotten during ninety minutes of football, and, and we'll get behind the team and 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 we'll enjoy that we'll enjoy the the party that is a World Cup. Um, but I think in the times that we're not playing football, in the times that we're we're waiting for the next England game, I think we have to have them conversations about the human rights, about the LGBT community, about the migrant you know, deaths in building the in, in building the stadiums, you know, they are key issues that when this World Cup in Qatar ends in 2022, we have to then talk about a legacy. We always talk about a legacy. And for me, the legacy of this World Cup is making sure that us as a Western society tell Qatar, teach Qatar that these values they have are, don't align with the rest of the world and, and that hopefully the legacy of this World Cup will be that you know, the LGBT community can go and live comfortably in Qatar, that migrants won't go there and lose their life while building their big buildings, you know, and, and, and all them social issues that women will be allowed to, to drive cars and go into football stadiums, all those things that are so wrong about the country. Um, and I think that's the aim of this World Cup. Um, you know, 
when when we're playing football, I know that we're there to play football and, and I'll be behind the boys as much as everyone else in this country. In the times we're not playing football, in the times that we're waiting for the games, we have to talk about these issues. We have to raise these issues. And and like I say, every tournament, every Olympics, every World Cup, every Euros, we talk about a legacy. And wouldn't it be great if the legacy of this World Cup is that those social issues in Qatar moving forward are dealt with, they're changed and, and Qatar becomes a more sort of Western civilised country that, that people, no matter what their sexual orientation, their um, religion or even their gender, sadly, um, it is affected by going there. Very, very well said. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Kent NL Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. Search for Kent Non-League Podcast. I am at John Phipps 81 Matt, if you remember him, I want him back after this, is uh, at Matthew underscore Gerard. And if you really want to, you can find Ryan on Twitter as well. He's at Rye underscore Rye Day. Uh, so you can, uh, you, you, you has to approve you if you want to follow him though. So if you're wrong, I'm probably steer clear. Um, but and yes, I'm really boring. And I'm really boring. So Although I was going to say, I was just looking down your feed, actually, you and I have got something in common. And with, this is a very long show, but I do. do we're do both boring. <laughs> we're both boring, but we're also both going to see Peter Kay because you managed to get tickets and so did I. So yes, uh, that I was a, that was a right result. So uh, yeah. I'm not going until 2024, but I'm going. That's the most Yes. Well, I'll be there next August. Probably missing a Margate game for it, but why not? We've got to see Peter Gay. Absolutely. Well, you you probably have as many laughs. Um, uh, might be close, actually, depending on what sort of team you've got out that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's show. Uh, thanks again to Ryan for his time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks to uh, Fred. Good luck with the with the show uh, over the weekend. And thanks to Andy Drury as well for his time. Uh, it's been an absolute blast doing this today. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, and... I will speak to you all next week on the Kent Only Podcast. I haven't decided who's doing the show with me next week. And you know, normally at the end of the show, I say, we'll speak to you all next week on the Kent Only Podcast. And then Matt Gerrard says something witty. I wonder if I can summon up, if I say those magic words, will we hear from Matt Gerrard? Let's find out. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll speak to you all next week on the Kent Only Podcast. I have to say, John, what a show that was. I haven't listened to much of it, though, because I'm on the way to Qatar. It's coming home. It's coming home. Football's coming home. Good work, actually.